0: Acts eleven nineteen 19 through 30 will be my text for today. And I had put something in my Bible. I'm trying to find it. But I guess I'll have to do that later. Okay. Um, Acts chapter 11, 19 through 30. That's where we're going to be at. Like I said earlier, um, I'm skipping chapter 10 because I went over chapter 10 when we looked at chapter 8. If you recall, Philip was in Samaria, and the gospel was being preached there to that place in Samaria, In Samaria, and he was having great success. And what happened? The apostles went down there, and uh, they authenticated, confirmed what was going on, and it was reported back. Tongues were taking place. You know, in chapter 10, you see the same thing where it's authenticated, confirmed by the apostles, um, where they were speaking in tongues. And, and just as it was in chapter 2, these were languages, not gibberish. And uh, and I have full proof of that through God's Word in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11, 15, 19. It goes on and it goes on and on that these were not gibberish tongues, but rather real languages. And the whole point was so that the Word of God and the Gospel message could be propagated and, and spread throughout the whole world. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, what happened in Genesis chapter 11 where the Lord confounded the languages and He separated the people, He is now by the grace of God Bring it, and by the Holy Spirit, bringing those languages back together. Therefore, the uh, the gospel message could go out among the people, and we see it goes to the Gentiles here in chapter ten with the letter, with the story of Cornelius. And so, I'm not. I've went over that already. I'm not going to go over that again. In chapter eleven, Peter reports back to the church. There is one verse I want you to see because this kind of seals it all up for this, uh, this thing about gibberish that, that everybody talks about nowadays. Um, look at verse 15, Acts 11 and 15. This is talking about Peter as he speaks to the elders and the people back in Jerusalem, the council. He is reporting back to them at what happened at Cornelius' house, When the Gentiles receive the gospel and listen to what he says, and this, I think, really, truly seals the deal about what happened and what they heard. Peter says this in 15, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them. And what was Peter doing? He was sharing the gospel with them. To Cornelius, these Gentiles. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them. Listen to what it says. Just as on us at the beginning. So in that text, you have them speaking in tongues. It says it. But how are they doing that? They're doing it in the same way that it happened to Peter and them in Acts chapter 2. Everybody understand what I'm saying. Peter spoke in his language, they heard in their language. This is what was taking place. It was not gibberish, it was not some random, chaotic language that we have nowadays in so many places and in so many churches. No, in fact, in Acts chapter 10, when the gospel was spread to the Gentiles, they did, in fact, speak in tongues, but it was the tongues that was spoken about in Acts chapter 2. As he clearly says here, the Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. Look at verse 18 before we get into 19. When the apostles and when the disciples in Jerusalem heard this, that the Gentiles had received the gospel and that they had spoken in tongues, listen to what their response is. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. You remember I brought the point out that they didn't say, Then to the Gentiles the Lord has given tongues. What was tongues about? Tongues was about being able to spread the gospel to the four corners of the globe. And so they recognize this, this, this supernatural work, they recognize it right here in chapter chapter eleven and verse eighteen. Now we're going to see, we're going to see Jews and Hellenist Jews that were Greek speaking Jews. We're going to see them receive the gospel here in nineteen through thirty. And I'm going to begin there in verse nineteen because this story here these this set of disciples goes all the way back to the stoning of stephen okay so this, this sect of disciples they they were there when stephen was stoned these were people that were that were truly you know scared for their life and they left they had no idea that the, that the uh, gospel message had went to the gentiles they didn't know that it had had gone and had crossed those boundaries so they flee. But listen to what happens in 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, this is north, and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So this, is, this has been some time. This has been some time years, I mean it would have been a couple of years. And they left when Stephen was was martyred, and when they left, they went north. And they oh, for obvious reasons. I mean if people were headhunting you wouldn't you leave? Yeah, Joanne, if somebody was coming after you, wouldn't you wouldn't you flee? Well sure. It only makes good common sense, right? So they left. These were Jews who were they were scattered years earlier. When Stephen was martyred and killed at the hand of Saul. As they, went, as they went, they told their story. Listen to what the Word of God says. Speaking the Word to no one except Jews. They didn't get the memo that the Gentiles had been brought into the fold. Okay? And that's okay. That's okay. It just hadn't been delivered to them yet. However, they were sharing their story. Did you catch that? They were speaking the word to no one except Jews as they traveled. Each of us, guys, each of us has a story to tell. Each of us. And too often that story doesn't come out until we're old. What do you mean, Pastor? It doesn't come out until we're old and we don't don't give a rip about what people think anymore. And then we begin to tell our story. Because it doesn't affect us financially. It doesn't affect us in any other way. So we have a freedom to tell it, but we need to begin to tell it now. As we go on our way. We need to tell it now as the Lord leads us to tell that story. We hold it back too often because it might hinder something that we're doing or it might stop us from progressing in something in the world. Or we're just shy. We don't have time to be shy. The Lord is going to return. Your life is but a vapor, and we don't have time to be shy. As we go, we need to be sharing what Christ has done for us. And my children are my children are examples that being a pastor's kid, I always got picked on by, you know, from the pulpit and and I was always constantly used in examples, but that's what we know. I mean, you know, so I'm gonna use Isaiah, for instance. I'm gonna talk about him for just a minute. And uh, I'm sorry, son, but I'm going to talk about you for just a second. Okay, okay. He says, okay. Isaiah, everywhere he goes, he tells people about Jesus. Amen. He comes home from school and he says, Daddy, I told this one about Jesus. I said, what did you tell him? Just told him about Jesus. I still don't yet really know what that looks like. But he's telling me, he's telling other people about Jesus. He was playing soccer the other day. He said, Daddy, when I was sitting on the bench, because they have to rotate out in upward soccer and everybody takes a turn on the bench. He said, when I was sitting on the bench on the other field, there was a guy sitting behind me and I told him about Jesus. I said, okay. He said, Daddy, I told this one at school, at recess about Jesus, at lunch. Daddy, I told this one. I told that one on the playground. So he reports back to me every time he tells somebody about the Lord. Like I said, I don't really know what he's telling them, and that's okay. We'll work on that later, son. But the point is is that he has a story to tell, and even if that story is just saying the name of Christ, he is doing that at the age of 7. These people were scared. And they had every right to be scared. The story of our salvation and what the Lord has done for us, we should not be hiding that in a corner. Just as these people took it with them, we should be taking it with us. How many people does that convict when I say that? It convicts me. By show of hands, I want to be honest. How many people does that convict? This is is fundamental Christianity 101. This is the beginning of a lot of churches, the foundation of a lot of churches in the book of Acts. And so you see these fundamentals come out, but yet they're so hard for us to practice. If I ask some of you right now to share your, your story, you might fall out dead with a heart attack. If I called you out and said, come up here and share your story, you might fall over dead. (laughs) Heart attack. Because it's hard. When you don't do it a lot, it's hard. But when you get used to doing it, like Isaiah, he just everybody he talks to, he shares it. And so these people, as they went along the way, they... Shared it. A door had been closed in Jerusalem where Stephen was at, where he was preaching in the area. A door had been closed there. They left, and where they left, and when as they left, they shared their faith. As they moved north, they shared their faith. Jews were being saved. These Jews ended up in Antioch, which would turn out to be a massive, massive church. Absolutely massive. So the persecution of Stephen spread these individuals. And as they spread, it spread just like a virus, didn't it? They went north. The gospel went north. They were telling their story everywhere that they went. And they ended up there in Antioch. And it it ended up being a massive church. Unfortunately, they hadn't got the memo about the Gentiles yet. But they will sh- shortly. But listen to what it says in 20 and following. So they're now there at Antioch. And listen to what it says in 20 and following. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. And the Hellenists had given them fits through this whole, through this whole early church church. Time and given them fits, but nevertheless, these people saw fit to go to the Hellenists and say, I'm going to tell the same story to you again and again and again. You've given us fits, but you know what? I'm still going to continue to tell it. You speak Greek, I speak Hebrew, but you know what? I'm still going to be able to, I'm still going to keep telling it to you. And so I, I really, really, when I see this, I just praise the Lord that they were, they were uh, just continued to go and boldly proclaim the name of Christ to those that really persecuted them through these passages of Scripture that we've already went through. But a great number turned to the Lord. Listen to what it says. But there were some of them, men of Cyrus and Cyprus and Siren who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, Also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The key to this is that they shared the gospel and what went with the gospel. What went with it? The hand of the Lord. You see that? We can share the gospel all all we want to. We can preach to the top of our lungs and we we can scream the top of the buildings off. But we must pray that the strong arm of the Lord be with us when we go. When we teach, when we preach, when we open up the word of life, and when we talk to others, we must pray that the strong arm of God be with us. There was a great house being built in Antioch and it was being built not by these saints. It was being built by the strong arm of God. The saints were being obedient to do what they were supposed to do but make no mistake about it, the builder and maker and architect of the church in Antioch is God. And this is so true for us today. We can't get around that. Verse 22, listen to what it says. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. They sent Barnabas. Why did they send Barnabas? They sent Barnabas to organize. They sent Barnabas to encourage. After all, his name, the one that they gave him, means son of encouragement. They sent Barnabas there to settle them in, the new believers. Barnabas was a, and this is what we're going to be talking about the rest of the, the sermon this morning. This is what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at this man named Barnabas. I have said all of this to lead up to this one individual, because this one individual is going to show us what we are to be doing, what we should look like, what, how we should act, I mean all of it. This is a wonderful story about a man in Scripture that I'm really beginning to like more and more as I get through the book of Acts. Barnabas, the son of encouragement. This is who we're going to be looking at. Turn with me if you can to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. I want to hear them pages. I like to hear them pages. If you've got a phone, let's hear them clicks. Click, 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 click. <laughs> Whoever's listening to this online is going to be thinking, what in the world is you talking about? <laughs> Acts chapter 4, 34 through 37. We're going to look at Barnabas and we're going to see his origin. We're going to see who he is, what he's about. We're going to look at everything that this man has to offer. And I think that you're going to come away uh, better for it today. Acts chapter 4, 34 through 37. This was... Uh, the believers praying for boldness. They had everything in common. And listen to what it says in 34. If you ever say amen. amen. Thank you. 34 through 37. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. Now remember, just a moment ago, look at me everybody. I read to you about a famine... In Acts chapter 11, that had hit the land, the known world, the Roman Empire, a famine that had hit the land, or that was coming, and aid was going to be needed. And Barnabas is going to play a very critical role in that aid. But I want you to see what happens at the beginning when the gospel was spread. The end of 34, it says... Owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. 36. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So when we begin to look at Barnabas in Acts chapter 11, we have to understand who we're talking about. Why would the apostles send him? Well, let's, let's look at for just a moment why the apostles would send this man. According to chapter 4, this man was very encouraging to the church. According to chapter 4, he was a Levite, which means he knew how to serve the church. He knew how to serve the Lord. He knew the Word of God. Barnabas, Joseph, this man was very encouraging. He knew how to serve, he knew the law, but also what more? He was very generous and liberal in his giving, wasn't he? Amen. What did he do? He took his own land. A field that belonged to him. And he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. So what better of a person would there be than Barnabas to collect aid for a struggling church in Jerusalem in chapter 11? We're going to see that. Come full circle here in just a second. So we see that he's encouraging. He's able to serve. He knows the law. He's very generous. And he knows that the Lord has blessed him. So he is going to bless the church. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. 26 through 28. This is another place where Barnabas is mentioned. And this is a place that I think is is pretty critical to uh, him going and getting Saul here in just a moment in chapter 11. Listen to what it says in 9, 26-28. If you're there, say, Amen. Amen. Acts 9, 26-28. Saul in Jerusalem. We just went over this not too long ago. Saul comes back to Jerusalem. And when he had came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Remember that? Saul comes back and they're just like, no, you're just trying to play a trick on us. You're going to really get us together and kill us all. I mean, they, they were really skeptical of Saul. But let me show you what Barnabas does. And we see this in the book of Galatians, where Barnabas takes Saul and he brings them before the apostles, namely Peter and John, and he brings them before them. And what does he do? Listen to the Word of God. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. While was sought able to go in and out freely in Jerusalem. I'll tell you why. Because there was a man by the name of Barnabas who was with Saul in Damascus. And when he was there, he saw the good works that Saul was doing. And so he comes back to Jerusalem, vouches for Saul, giving Saul the opportunity then to preach the gospel even more in the land of Jerusalem. So Barnabas vouches for Saul, testifying to the apostles Saul's work in Damascus. So not only is he encouraging, not only is he able to serve, not only does he know the law, not only is he generous, but this man is a good friend who's a truth speaker. Man, I like him more and more the more I read about him. He's a good friend, he's a truth speaker. Let's move on, because I want to get through this text. Turn back with me to Acts 11, and we're going to finish this chapter out today. Listen to what it says, beginning there, uh, let's see, beginning there in 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. What better of a person, right? Right? I mean, they've experienced, they've, they've, they've experienced Barnabas, they've had dealings with Barnabas, they know him. After all, he did give up his land, sold it, and gave the proceeds to the church so that the church could equally divide that out. So the apostles are saying, you know, this is a pretty trustworthy guy. This man is extremely trustworthy. So we're going to send Barnabas to Antioch. After all, some of the people there are from his own town, Cyprus. Remember, that's where he was raised, according to chapter 4. And you see that up there in verse 20. There were some of the men of Cyprus and Cyrene. And so here, Barnabas is sent and listened to what the Word of God says. When this son of encouragement gets there, verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, how do you see the grace of God? Well, it's pretty difficult. I mean, it's hard to look and just look around and see the grace of God. But what happened? When Barnabas got there, he could see the grace of God on the people. He could see the grace of God in the people how they worked together, how they talked, how they spoke how they loved on one another, how they communicated, how they praised, how they preached, how they shared the gospel. He could see this and spiritually discern what was going on in the church at Antioch. And this was a good man. And when he sees this, it made him glad. Made him glad. He has made me glad. Yes, he has made me glad. I will rejoice, for he has made me glad, glad, glad. What happened? Barnabas gets to Antioch, and he sees the grace that has been poured out on the church there, and he is made glad. He's made glad. Listen to what it says. He was made glad and he exhorted them all. This was a man that was an encourager. He encouraged others. This is why he earned the name Barnabas. Son of encouragement. He encouraged others. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord. He says, listen, remain faithful to the Lord. Be steadfast in the purpose of sharing the gospel and living the truth out. Preaching the truth, testifying to what Jesus has done for you. He says, and while you do that, I need to go get some help. Why? And I'll tell you why. Because the church was exploding in Antioch. And this man was not so prideful to think that he could take care of it himself. He needed help. Barnabas needed help. He had full authority from the apostles to do what he needed to do. So what does he do? I mean, he's already close to Tarsus. He knows that Saul is there. He has spent time with Saul before. So who better to come minister to the people of Antioch than the apostle Saul? Listen to what happens. I love this story. It is so neat to me. He says this in verse 24. Uh, Verse 23: When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them to all remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. This church was exploding. It truly was. Verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Why did he go to Tarsus? He needed help. He wasn't going on vacation for a friendly visit. He was going to get Saul because he needed the help of Saul. Verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. When it says come down, it means an elevation. They came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. They were actually going north. They came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus, these were, these were true prophets, remember there was prophets in the days of the early church, and they came, one of them named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. In other words, like I said before, the Roman Empire. This took place in the days of Claudius. This is why this is mentioned right after that. Because they considered the whole world, the Roman Empire, the whole world. And that was what they're talking about here in our text. So the disciples determined, listen to what it says in 29 and 30. Because we're going to see what happened in chapter 4 with Barnabas and where he is this trustworthy friend that loves Jesus and that it gives all for Christ, we're going to see that come full circle, where much is given, much is required. Listen to what it says in this passage. So the disciples determined everyone, because there would be a great famine, remember, a great famine in the land, in, uh, in Jerusalem. So the disciples determined, determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. So what's the church doing? They're getting together funds, they're getting together food, whatever they can get together, they're going to now send that to the area of Judea. Why? Because there was going to be a famine. And so the Lord is sending this man in to prophesy so those goods and those resources can already be on their way to the church. But I want you to see what happens here. Who did they send to carry the finances? Who did they send to carry the goods? Barnabas. Listen to what it says. And they did so sending it to the elders. That was the elders in Jerusalem of the church there. They did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas. But they didn't send Barnabas alone. You got to remember, they're dealing with finances. They're dealing with goods. And they were going to have two people. Anytime that you're dealing with stuff like that, you, especially in the church, you need to have two people looking it. And that's one thing that I like at Grace here. We have three people that are looking over the finances and kind of, Taking, taking an interest in looking at that, we have Ms. Shirley, we have Ms. Martha, and we also have David. And I myself look at them monthly, just to let you know. And so we have our finances that are looked at. And so here in this text, we have two men that are sent to take these goods and services back to Jerusalem. Why were these two chosen? Because they were counted Faithful. They were counted faithful. So I want to give you ten facts. (laughs) Really quick, ten facts. Ten facts, really quick. Listen to what it says. So what can we see when we look at Barnabas? Ten things. First, he was encouraging. I don't have to elaborate on that. We've already went through it. He was encouraging. Second, he knew how to serve and he knew the Word of God. And when we look at these, we ought to be seeing ourselves in these areas. Okay. Third, he was very generous to the church. Understanding that God had given to him and he then would give to others. He was generous to the church. Fourth, this act of faith shows us a lot about who he is. He was very generous. Very generous and very liberal. Fifth, he was a good friend and vouched for Saul before the apostles. Good friend. He vouched for Saul before the apostles. Sixth, this man was willing to go at the apostles' bidding. He was available to work for Christ. Available. One of the hardest things that Christians, I believe, today struggle with the most is availability. Because we pack our schedules so full, we give Jesus just a little bit. We give Him a quiet time in the morning. What about the rest of the day? Apostle Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. To talk to Him constantly. Do I do that? No. I try. I talk to him a lot during the day. But can I honestly say to pray without ceasing? Do I do that? No. Because I'm an imperfect man trying to serve a perfect God and it is hard. But here we see this man. He is available to do the work of the Lord. And we need more people that are available to do the work of the Lord. He was willing to go at the apostles' bidding. He was available to work for Christ. Seventh, he was made glad by the grace of God in other people's lives. He was not jealous. He was made glad by it. So often people get jealous when they see the Lord working and moving in the life of someone else. Praise God that He is. Man, in today's society, I'm holding on to any little thing that I can see in somebody. I'm holding on to any little victory that I can see in somebody else. Thanking the Lord for that. Because it seems to be so rare nowadays. You guys understand what I'm saying? I see somebody changing or the Lord working in their life. And I want to praise God for that. It makes me happy. It makes me glad. Eighth, he's called a good man. Full of the Holy Spirit and full... Of faith. Ninth, I want you to see this. Ninth, he had enough humility about him to know that he needed help in Antioch. And so he goes to get one that's much more superior in the word, he goes to get one that has powers. <laughs> He sees the need for more instruction, more doctrine, more teaching. And he says, you know what? Tarsus ain't far from here. I'm going to go and get my buddy Saul. And Saul's going to help me straighten this thing out. And this was for the betterment of the church. He had enough humility about him to know that he needed help for the greater good of the church. And tenth. Barnabas knew how to handle money and could be trusted. He knew how to handle money and could be trusted. With that being said, Barnabas and Paul, or Saul, went together back to Jerusalem to bring aid to them. The story of the saints at Antioch and the truths about Barnabas, guys, it, it truly should be our story. We should be sharing Christ as the saints did as they moved north. And we should be living like Barnabas. These things should be able to be said about us. Unfortunately, we know that in so many of these areas, we need work, don't we? Barnabas Barnabas, puts us all to shame. He makes us, makes us kind of look bad. He was a good man, full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, I pray that we are able to live a life that resembles the life truly of Barnabas. And let me say one more thing before I leave this text. This is the first place in Scripture, in Antioch, where they are called Christians. And we still carry this title today. And I'm proud of that. I'm thankful for that. So with all of this being said, we've covered, we've, we've went through very, very rapidly chapter 10, which we went through before, and chapter 11, and now we have finished that chapter 11 that will place us there in chapter 12, when we start back into God's Word. And we're going to see some, some really, really terrible things happen uh, as a result we know that anytime the Lord moves, that you better believe that the enemy is on the move as well. Anytime the church is added to, you better believe that the enemy is going to come in and try to put his foot in there and stir up some stir up, stir up some mess. And so we're going to see we're going to see that there in chapter 12. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we come to you and we do thank you, Lord.